Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. You can uh, grab a seat. Um, we're again in our book, the book of Revelation. Uh, we're in our series, our series, of course, being blessed. And uh, the reason that we, and we have a little question mark because so often, as I've said each week, when we look at the book of Revelation, most people don't think of Revelation as a book of blessing. They see it as a book of like, oh, terrible, awful things. But um, as we've seen throughout the book, John makes clear in Revelation chapter 1 and in Revelation chapter 2, he says the one who reads this is blessed. Those who hear and keep it are blessed. And blessed is he who heeds this book. And so we're reading it. We're hearing it. We're trying to keep what's written in it. And that is what blessing looks like, that True blessing comes with the full character and full reality of our world and the full character and reality of our God. That's true blessing. Anything less than that is us trying to manipulate blessing to be what we want, not what really is. And Revelation is the final book that kind of gives clarity as we've looked at over and over again. We've talked about each week that Acts 1, when Jesus leaves the earth and he's getting ready to leave and transcend into heaven and he says, I'll be back someday, the question the disciples have is a question where they say, hey, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? In other words, is this the end of time when you're going to make all the covenants of the Old Testament that you made to Abraham, to Noah, to Moses? Are you finally going to fulfill everything so that you're in total control and we don't have to suffer and deal with the mess of things anymore? And Jesus' comment to them was, oops, sorry about that. His comment to them was, hey, look, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. We're not going to know. We're going to actually look at that again today because as we look at Revelation chapter 12, which is where we're at, we're also going to go back and look in the book of Daniel. And when we look at the book of Daniel, God tells Daniel this same exact statement twice where he says, you're not going to know. He reveals all this crazy stuff to Daniel, and he's like, you're not going to know. Get busy doing what you do know, which is the next part, which God says. Jesus says to his disciples, you're not going to know the times and the periods and the winds and the hows and all that kind of stuff that you love to talk about and think about. He goes, but you do, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come on you, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses are people who give testimony. You will give my testimony in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth. And so before Jesus leaves the earth, the last message that he has to his disciples is you're waiting on me and as you wait, don't make it an argument about how when all this kind of stuff, get really focused on what I've empowered you to do, which is to be my witnesses that hey, all this is going to happen. And I don't know how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen or how it's going to go down, but it's guaranteed that it's going to happen. Some of it's already happened and I may not even know that it's happened. But I'm trusting my God that he will do what he says to do. Here are some of the messages from the last several weeks. You can take a look at those online. And this week, Brian last week looked at the two witnesses, the final kind of before the seventh trumpet and final trumpet blows, God sends these final two witnesses and says, please repent. And the people of, that are left kill the two witnesses, just like they killed Jesus. Just like they took Jesus out when he came to be the ultimate testimony and witness of God of his full holiness and his upholding of the law and his forgiveness and grace that he gives by paying the price 
that only he could pay because he was holy. And so that's what we looked at this week, this week, or last week. This week, we're going to look at signs. Signs. This is uh, what everybody loves, right? We all love to get a sign from God. You know, we just prayed that there's an entire people group that they would have the Bible. And for us, and for most Christians in the West, a Bible isn't a good enough sign. I gotta have a special word, a special sign from God because this whole thing that we've been given that's so amazing and so unbelievable that God's preserved it and it's so accurate and it's been like, that's not good enough. I need something special just for me to trust God. And, and that's where God's people have been all along. God has constantly shown them through history that I am the God who was, who is, and is to come. And it's like, well, that's not good enough. He gives us revelation, the final book, to say it's all going to happen. And then we just argue. We don't say, wow, I've got a God I can trust. And I want to know this stuff so that I can trust him more. No, instead, we're like, well, if God, if you don't show up, if you don't do this, if you don't do that. And you know what's amazing about God? Even though that's our heart and our wickedness and our stupidity, and we have the Bible in front of us that gives us every sign and wonder we could ever want, he still sometimes shows up and gives us signs in his great mercy and still speaks and still tries to get our attention through other ways. When he does not have to, we have the word of God, we are without excuse. Romans 1 says we have creation crying out that there's a God and you deny it. You're without excuse. And yet our God still sends signs. He still does wondrous things because he's so loving that he doesn't just sit back and say, I've done enough, and so take that. He's like, I've done everything, and I'm going to show you how I've done everything. And every once in a while, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to continue to let you know what's going on. Now, always be careful. Because all cults start with someone who had a sign or a word from God. Every cult that's ever started, starts from that premise. So when someone says they have a word for God, from God, we have to be very, very careful. Because the reason you have the word of God is because people had a word from God and they wrote it down as a word from God so that they could be tested for all of eternity. To this day, we can look back and test the people's words to see if they really were from God. Does it match up with all the rest of Scripture? The reason you have a Bible and you have a canon is because people were given signs and wonders and given a word, and people looked and said, does their word match the rest of the story? And those were the books that we said, okay, these look, for the most part, like they match everything. And it's a miracle that God does that. And so we have to be very careful when we say, well, God said to me, so you got Scripture to tell us? Now, you can say, I felt like, or you could say, I read the word, and this is what it says, and it was like, God, use that scripture verse to tell me exactly what the scripture verse says, that I was a liar, and I need to apologize, because I read, you shouldn't be a liar, and you should repent, so that's what I did. I had a word from God, it's right there. Be very, very careful because we've got people running around today saying they have words from God and I got a sign and every, all the circumstances lined up. I was joking this morning with our team that was setting up and I said, you know, it's amazing to me that, you know, we always, when we come in here, sometimes things can be a mess and we've got to clean it up and get it ready for Sunday and sometimes that's difficult. Other Sundays we come in and it's almost ready to go and 
I said, you know, we always joke about in our church that we have a $1.5 to $2 million solution for this problem. You, you guys just have to give $1.5 to $2 million, me included, to make, build a building so we don't have to worry anymore. And then I laughed and said, like a building doesn't have worries. <laughs> Try being married. When you rent and you're married as a husband, even as a wife, guess whose fault it is when stuff breaks? Neither of yours. It's the landlord's. When you own a home, guess whose fault it is when stuff breaks and you have to take care of it? You. No, you. No, you. No, you. That, welcome to a war. It's not wrong to own a home. It just comes with its own problems. I told our folks, I said, hey, I think this morning that God's given me a sign. I'm supposed to play the lottery from now on to try to win the $1.5 to $2 million. Right? Like, and don't judge me. I, I can do this. If, if Hosea in the Old Testament can marry a prostitute, I could play the lottery. See, that's a misinterpretation and a misuse of a word from God. Let me just tell you, okay? Be very careful when someone says, I feel led or I had a word. Like, okay, well, then let's look and see what God's word says. Does, does God said, say that you had a word? Does God say what is blessed? And here's the problem. We're talking about signs and blessing. Typically, when we look at if something is from God, a sign from God, in our worldly mindset, in our Western culture, it always adds up to things worked out earthly well for my benefit, for my family's benefit, for our church's benefit. That must be a sign from God. Yet when you read the scriptures, God has the greatest heart, the greatest things to say about those who died and saw nothing positive happen in their earthly life for their benefit called the martyrs. See, we've got to be very careful. It's not that God doesn't do signs. It's not that God doesn't work out things sometimes for our benefit. He loves to bless. He loves to teach. That's great, but be very careful when you go into this because it's easy to twist the signs and wonders to fit what we want. The people of Israel right now around the world, the ancient Jews are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. The time when they build these temporary shelters, they put a hole in the top, they go outside and eat, and God comes down through the hole to, to, to meet with them, to eat with them. They, they do a sign. God says, I want you to do this sign. I want you to remember for all eternity that I'm coming back to eat with you someday. That I haven't abandoned you. And the sign of you doing this and the sign to the world is you're going to build these temporary shelters to remind you that you live in a temporary shelter, a temporary body or tabernacle. So you're going to do this sign as a reminder that you're just a temporary person living in a temporary world and you need me to show up to feed you. And we've been looking at the feast that God said you need me to atone for your sins. That's Rosh Hashanah, or that's... Yom Kippur, I've got to announce that it's time. You've got to listen for my announcement, not just what you think. And then, of course, we have the feasts later that are the signs. And what's amazing to me is throughout church history, this got lost. Because the church, the ancient church, the Roman Catholic church decided that they hated the Jews. They taught that the Jews were the ones that killed Jesus. Hello, everyone killed Jesus. I'm pretty sure it was Pilate, a Roman, who gave the order to kill Jesus. He wasn't Jewish. So everybody together agreed, we don't want this guy saving us. Let's kill him. We don't like what he has to say about life and doing life and his authority. And so let's get rid of him. Everybody agreed. And he became our great deliverer and forgiver at Passover. And 
He became the bread of life to us, the unleavened bread that has no sin, that has no yeast, that saves us. And he is our Pentecost. He sends a helper. He sends his word, the Torah, to us so that we might know him for eternity. And we might get people ready for the trumpet blast that's coming at Rosh Hashanah. It's a continual sign and process that unfortunately in Western Christianity we have pretty much forgotten and lost. And even most of these holidays and how the Bible lays them out in the Old Testament, we've renamed them so we don't even give God credit for how he's designed the signs and wonders of the Bible. Can I just tell you, God is amazing to give us every opportunity to see how great he is. That when we see the fall leaves, do you think about the beauty of creation? Or do you think about the fall and the death and the need for resurrection? You see, there's always a twist. There's always a sign. So let's dive in. Revelation 11, last week, Brian kind of read this at the end of his message. I want to go back and look. We've seen the seven signs. We've seen seven signs and then another seven signs. And now we're at the seventh trumpet that's blowing of the final judgment before Christ comes back and reigns. It says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. The seventh trumpet blows in heaven and everybody knows, okay, everything is now set in motion. There's no turning back. The forever and ever king is going to reign. That seventh trumpet is the sign of like done Now, does this mean it all happens instantly? No, because we have a lot more chapters to cover. (laughs) But see, in heaven, it's outside of time and space, like we've talked about before. John is looking from heaven to earth, and he's seeing all these things. And in heaven, there's no time. There's no was, is, and is to come. It's all together. So it's difficult for us to know, did this already happen? Well, yeah, when Christ died, he went and sat at the right hand of the throne of the Father, the Bible said. But he's not fully reigning yet. And even though the seventh trumpet blows, it's like, oh, so now he's going to fully reign. And what we find out is, no, not quite yet. And so we're always caught in what we say around here at FX Church, the already but not yet. Already true, but not yet. That's where we're caught at. In all of our lives, that's where we're caught at. Okay? He goes on and he says, the 24 elders who are seated before God on their thrones. So here are 24 guys seated with authority. If you're sitting beside God, you got some serious authority that he lets you sit beside him in a throne he made for you. That's some pretty heavy authority. And look at how these guys use their authority when the seventh trumpet blows and they know now's the time for us. Now is the time when finally what we've been waiting for is going to happen. Their response isn't, let's grab broadswords and go kill a bunch of people. Their response is to fall on their face in humility and say, oh my, we know what's coming. And while we're both rejoicing for what's coming and what God's gonna do, there's also a weeping. And isn't that our life? Isn't it always that tension? Like, Susan and I got away for a few days this past week. We don't do that very often. Matter of fact, we've never done that being empty nesters. The first time we've ever gotten away and like fully gotten away. We went to New Mexico this spring, but it was like we were together for the drive and then we hung out with people and then we had time alone on the drive back from New Mexico for 20 some hours. This is the first time we went and we didn't like go meet people somewhere. We just went, the two of us, 
It was so weird. Like we literally, like we don't know what to do. Like we went and bought a Yahtzee game at Walmart. Like we got to do something. Let's buy Yahtzee. We don't have that at home. And we didn't even buy the real game because we're so cheap. We bought five dice and the scorecards because it was like $3 cheaper to do that than buy a $10 Yahtzee game. Okay, like we're trying to figure this out. How do we have a relationship now when, it, when it's different? When there's a, a different way to do life? These men are falling before God. They're worshiping and there's probably a tension there of like, okay, well, yeah, I'm away, but I don't want to be away. I, I, I want to be around people, but I need to get away. But I, it's that tension we all feel all the time. And these 24 elders, they fall and they say, look at what they say. Saying, we thank you. Look at that. We thank you. They just say thank you. How often do you fall on your face before God in the midst of coming judgment and in the midst of the reality of what you know is true and what's going to come someday, even though it hasn't come yet, do you just fall down on your face and say, man, thank you. Just just thank you, God. I got nothing else. I just have thank you. If you don't do that, you might want to figure out what's going on in your heart. Because that's what heaven's going to be doing for all of eternity. And it says, we thank you that you are the Lord, the Almighty. That means you have full control. You're the full God who is, who was. Because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign. Now, this has already happened. Jesus already did. Jesus has been reigning since the beginning of eternity. He died, came back to life, and ascended before the Father and sits at the right hand of the Father. All of this is already, but not fully yet. Revelation eleven eighteen says, the nations were angry. In other words, we get angry when God doesn't give us the blessing we want. We get angry when God does what he says he's going to do, but it's not the way we wanted him to do it. Our response is, we get angry. We get upset. And he says, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged And to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints. By the way, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a saint, biblically. I didn't say that, the Bible does. And he says, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. Those who use the earth and use people for their benefit instead of looking at the earth as an opportunity to use it, to fill it and subdue it for the glory of God. We're not talking about saving the earth or climate or anything here. We're talking about having a view of earth that it's my responsibility to fill the earth with souls and then make sure that we are waiting and providing for those souls more and more opportunities to know Jesus until he returns. Does that involve we may not want to kill ourselves with radioactivity and pollution? Absolutely. But we also live on an earth that's passing away. And so don't be surprised when all of our resources are passing away. It's a sign that we need to remember that Jesus is coming. We need someone to save us. We need someone to give us breath because breath is disappearing. We need someone to step in. All of it is a sign and we're supposed to lean into it as his witnesses and live in it and bring life into it as a declaration that I'm trusting God because this is going to happen someday and right now it's not fully yet. 
He goes on and he says, God's sanctuary is in heaven was opened. The Ark of His Covenant appeared in His sanctuary. That's a fulfillment of all of everything of the Old Testament coming to pass. And there were flashes of lightning, rumbling of thunder, an earthquake, and severe hail. You know, I thought about this as I was driving. I thought about this verse and some of the other verses that mention the, the hail, the lightning, the thunder, the earthquake that we read about in Revelation. And I was driving, and as we're driving, we went to Illinois just a rural part of Illinois to get away. And as we were going there, we're passing all these windmills and all these solar panels and all of these gas trucks that are driving down the road. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, a few tornadoes would pretty much wipe out our windmills. And a few hailstorms would shatter every solar piece of glass we have. And a few earthquakes would really ruin the ability for us to get oil out of the ground for wells and collapse all the mining we do. We keep finding solutions to things and God has to, I mean, it's just, it's laughable. It's not that we shouldn't do those things, but if you think that's going to save us, you haven't read the book. It's all going to be destroyed at some point because God, listen, We've looked at this over and over again. This is the seventh trumpet. The reason this is happening is because God has done everything possible to get us to pay attention and to get the world to pay attention. And we keep saying, no, thank you. All I've got my own sign. I want my own things. You do you. I do me. And in the end, you'll just forgive me and let me come to heaven, right? And so be careful that our response is the same as the response of thank you and that we seriously take the reality of what we read. Revelation 12.1 says, A great sign appeared in heaven. Okay, pause for a second. A great sign. A sign is not like it's happening now. A sign is like, here's a sign. It's been there before. It's going to be there when you drive past it. And if you drive past it tomorrow, the sign's still going to be right by the side of the road. I knew a guy in college who got saved by a sign. Someone chose to purchase a sign they put it up on the billboard on the side of the road that said, this is your sign from, this is your sign. And at the bottom, with a little hashtag, a little mark, it said, God. He was actually driving back from college, riding with his ex-girlfriend who was in the front seat talking to her girlfriend about how bad he was. It was the only ride home he could get for break. The dorms were closing. So he rode home with his ex-girlfriend and took this abuse for like two or three hours. It was the worst ride ever. And in that moment, he's leaning against the window, looking out the window, and he's like, God, if you're real, I mean, I, a sign would be great. And literally, that billboard popped up. It said, this is your sign, God. And he went, oh, my. And he said, the rest of the drive, he has no idea what they said. He was so overwhelmed with a God that was real. And as soon as he got to town, he went to, his, to, went to a pastor he knew in town and said, this is what happened. I know this is weird. I don't know what to do. The pastor led him in the sinner's prayer. He came to know Christ. Somebody bought that billboard way before he ever got to it. He just happened to look up at the right time instead of looking around, falling asleep, which would have been easy to do in his circumstance. See, God is constantly working. And we look and go, well, yeah, if somebody gave me a sign like that, I would believe. No, those signs are all around you all the time. God's given you the heavens. He's given you the sun. He's given you the moon. He's given you order all over the place to say that I am a God of order who has a plan, and that plan continues until the plan ends when I end it. That's creation, and we don't listen. 
thankfully, he could have looked at that sign and been like, huh, what a joke. Some I'm not believing that. Some guy bought a sign thinking he's cute. He's going to like be a sign from God. And that's stupid. It's not what his response was. His response was to say, I'm going to look at the sign. And I'm going to believe that God is trying to get my attention and I'm going to actually submit to him. And here's what happens. A sign appeared in heaven. Remember, this sign is in heaven. It's not on the earth. It's outside of time and space. So this is a symbol. The Greek word for sign actually here means a symbolic vision. It doesn't mean like a specific thing that happened at a specific time. It's a symbolic vision. Like this is your sign from God. Like what kind of a sign? No, no, this is a sign from God. He goes on, he says, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and in agony as she was about to give birth. So we got a woman who's pregnant. She's, she's some crazy looking woman with like sun and moon and like stars on her head. And like, if you're John seeing this, you're like, what? I've... This is actually the hardest part of this chapter to figure out. Who the sun is in this chapter, there are three signs in this chapter. There's a dragon, there's a sun, and there's a woman. We're going to look at all three. The woman is the hardest to figure out. The sun and the dragon are easy. It's, it even says it. It's Jesus and the devil. Like, it makes it clear. The woman's actually the, the hardest thing to figure out in this passage. Let me say that again. The woman is the hardest thing to figure out in this passage. The, yeah, thank you. That's way more complicated than the sun and the devil. They're just easy to figure out. <laughs> and here's the beauty of this. Now, there's many interpretations of what this could mean, but there's also some clear things we can learn from this. That's what we're going to look at. The clarity, not all the chasing. You know, the Romans, or I'm sorry, the Roman Catholic Church believes this is Mary. This is a sign of Mary, and, and obviously she's, She's never sinned. She's sinless. She was the virgin. She, all this kind of stuff. I don't have time to go into all the problems with that this morning. Like the fact that they think Mary never had any more children, that she stayed a virgin her old life, and it says that Joseph didn't sleep with her until after she gave birth, which means he slept with her. It says it right there in the book of Matthew. <laughs> she, she didn't stay a virgin her whole life. Right? She gave herself to her husband, which was to obey the Old Testament law. And so it says, she was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony. Do you realize that not only is this talking about, probably is talking about specifically Mary, but it's actually talking about woman going all the way back because these imageries that are used here are the idea of a woman, a serpent, a big serpent. We use the word dragon, but it's the word serpent. It's the same idea. It's the same picture of Eden that we had all the way back. And it's saying, it's, it's bringing back that sign again that there's a woman, and this woman is going to be saved through the child that she births. That's what was said in Genesis. God said, you're going to be saved. Paul says, you'll be saved through childbearing to women. And you're like, well, I haven't any children. I guess I'm not going to heaven. No, that's a wrong interpretation. <laughs> It's, it's the idea that there's no way for you to save yourself. Something that's still a part of you has to come and save you, but it's actually given to you by God. That's the miracle of birth. It's the miracle of a child. And so Adam and Eve were commanded to have children, and out of those children would come what? Twelve sons. Jacob 
who had 12 children, the 12 stars on her head, who would then bring in the Messiah of the world to save the world. This is all imagery and symbolic of the entire biblical narrative of the Old Testament. Matthew 12, 38, and again, it's easy to take this and say, well, there's our sign. But in Matthew, remember what Jesus said. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, they actually did this twice to Jesus. They did it here and they did it again later. Where they said, we want a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, which is Jonah was dead three days and came back to life, spit out on the ground, and had to go tell a bunch of people he didn't like about Jesus. Welcome to your life. It's the sign of Jonah. I can't save myself. I'm in the belly of a fish and I'm dead. There's no way to save me. God spit you out and said, okay, I've saved you. Now what are you going to do with your life? Well, I'll do what you tell me to do. It's, that's the sign. That he gives. And Jesus is saying, you won't recognize the sign of Jonah. That that's what you're called to do as Pharisees. The Pharisees and Sadducees and the scribes and all the leaders of the Old Testament when Jesus came were all about Jewish, like, privilege. And we're the special. He's like, no, no, no. I made you special so that you would lay down your life and go out and tell everybody else. That was the point. Not so you could cloister together and make your own promised land. It was to go out and tell people. That was the point. And so again, it's to be my witness. And he says it's an evil and adulterous. He looks at these scribes and Pharisees and he's like, so the whole Bible that you have, me being here, all the signs and wonders, all the scriptures fulfilled isn't enough. You need another one? Are you kidding me? There are Gentiles at this point, there are Gentiles believing and they don't know any of that stuff and they're trusting in me. And you won't trust in me with all that I've given you? It's the same here. She's pregnant. She's in agony. Let me tell you, life is agony. Bringing children and watching them suffer and struggle. We were listening to a song on the radio and written by a young woman who lost her brother in a car accident. And Susan's like, oh, I remember hearing the story about this song. So she looked up the testimony and the story and how this girl wrote this song because she didn't know what else to do to deal with her pain and her grief of the loss of her brother, but knowing that her brother was in heaven. So she just sat down and wrote in her journal and then one day said, well, maybe I could just write a little song to this. See, God is all about showing us. So is this symbol Mary? Is it Eve? Is it another woman? Is it Israel? Is it the church? Because all of those things actually fit this, we'll see. And the answer to all of that is yes. Was and is and is to become. It's it's all. You see, the church is called the what? The woman of Christ, the bride of Christ. So it also represents the fact that there's these 12 sons and they're going to give birth and then the Messiah is going to come and then through the Messiah there's going to be Gentiles who come to faith and there's a church being built. It's all a part of God's plan. If it's in the old, it's in the new. And that's what we're going to look at. Isaiah 7.13 says this. Isaiah said, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, let the Lord, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, if you won't look for the signs, if you won't pay attention to what God's doing, then fine. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's the sign God's going to give. It's the ultimate sign you should be looking for. A virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, which means God is now with us. 
Isaiah prophesies to his people and he says, oh, you want all these signs? You want God to do all this great stuff? I'm going to ask you to look for something real simple. A virgin gets pregnant, has a kid, and you're gonna, that kid is named God. That's what you should look for. And when the Sadducees and Pharisees looked at Jesus, they didn't say God. They said, give us some more signs. Jesus is like, how much more do I have to do? How much more? I did everything in the Old Testament for you. I'm the one that interacted throughout the whole. I am the God-man who appears. Matthew goes on to say this. After Joseph had considered these things, he's considering what to do with Mary because she says she's a virgin and got pregnant. I don't know, but if you were engaged to someone and they came to you one day and they said, hey, I just want you to know, Matt, we're engaged, but I'm pregnant and we haven't slept together. We haven't even been in the same bed together, but I'm pregnant and I want you to know an angel did it and it was God. I have every right to question that because never before in history has that happened. But I also, as a believer in Jesus and having the word of God as a sign, know that Isaiah already prophesied that this might happen someday and maybe, just maybe, God's given me that woman and I need to pause for a moment and consider that, considering how righteous Mary is. And that's exactly what Joseph does. What a man of faith. He had every right to drag her into the street in this moment and have her stoned publicly and say, this woman committed adultery. She is pregnant, she has admitted it, and it's time to kill her. How dare she do this to me and embarrass me and my family and her family? She's dead to me. And instead, Joseph paused and he said, I know Mary is righteous. I know she tries to follow God. I can't believe this story, but I don't want to hurt her. What a picture of the heart of God. And he says, After he considered these things and considered divorcing her quietly and putting her away, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Yahweh saves, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him God with us, Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. See, this has already been fulfilled. So when we read this in Revelation, it's like, was there gonna be another woman who, it's already been done. It doesn't have to be another woman. It's already been fulfilled. But maybe, I don't know. Not really. See, it's talking about Jesus, the son who comes. It's a already but not yet. Revelation 12, 3 says another sign appeared in heaven. So first we have this sign of a pregnant woman. Now there's another sign in heaven. Isn't it interesting that the next sign is a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were the seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, he might devour her child. You think you have a midwife or a doctor receiving your child. What if you look up and there's a dragon waiting for your kid to pop out? This... This dragon, this serpent is so angry 
so upset that God has given authority to mankind that he's like, I've got to devour every male child. I've got to devour every child that might come out because one of them might save the world. And I've got to do everything I can to kill the male passageway for the salvation of God, the Messiah. Now you wonder, why didn't he just kill the woman? Well, because God didn't give him permission to do that, I guess. I don't know. No idea. Maybe because women are a little bit stronger and the men will come to defend the woman. I don't know. But in this scenario, and listen, all throughout human history, we see over and over again through human history, kings do what? Kill males. There have been no greater deaths in the world than the wars that we have fought in the last hundred years and the number of young men we have slaughtered and murdered in the name of civilization in the last 100 years is off the charts. You want to talk about male privilege? There's a male privilege that you get to die. That's what scripture says. As a husband, you're the one who dies first. That's the privilege you get to have. And there are people, we sit here free because there are people who took that privilege seriously and said, I will go fight and fight against the dragons of the world. I'll go fight to bring about some kind of peace because there's no other way to bring it without war and death. It's just not possible. And there's no other way to bring life than to bring children into the world. You can't create a soul without having a child. And so we're in this mess that we're in. And so there's a dragon, and all throughout history you see this, right? Cain tried to kill, or Cain killed Abel, the promised child. Satan thought he won. Then they had Seth. Cain was banished, couldn't get to Seth. Seth survived. And you see the chain. You see Moses and Pharaoh killing all the young boys, and the midwives are doing everything they can to save the children as they come out to protect them from the Egyptian dragon so that they can save those children. They put Moses in a basket, float him down the river, and another woman who's an Egyptian finds Moses, makes him her child, and raises him as her own. And Moses, like most stupid men, take matters into his own hands and he kills an Egyptian because he's trying to defend God and do the right thing. And he has to flee for his life. And then God calls him back to the conflict and says, Moses, you're going to have to go back and face what you did. And you're going to have to go back and stand for me. And by the way, you don't get a sword to take. You don't get an army. You get a staff. You get a stick. You take a stick and go talk to the most powerful empire in the world and tell them, you need to do what I tell you to do because I got a stick. And God delivers all of his people because he shows up in signs and wonders and he forgives. It says that there are stars in heaven. He swept a third away. We have other places in the Bible where most scholars believe that this is when Satan got jealous when mankind was given the right to be like God and Satan wasn't given that right. He was an angel who just had to obey. He wasn't given the right to the throne like the elders were. There's no angels sitting on thrones in heavens. It's people. And out of that jealousy, Satan said, I am the most beautiful. I am the greatest. And he took about a third of the angels with him. That's what the stars refer to. So this is the fall of Satan, the taking away. Did this already happen? Yes. It already happened. He goes on and says then, Isaiah says it this way, then a Lord sent a message against Jacob. It came against Israel. All the people, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that means the rest of the earth, will know the message. 
They will say with pride and arrogance, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with cut stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. In other words, we can fix our own problems. We don't need God. We're going to fix all this. We're going to solve all the world's problems. And even though everything's destroyed, we're going to rebuild it, build it better, make it great again. That's what we're going to do. We're going to save the earth. The people did not turn to him who struck them. They didn't recognize that the fact that all this is happening is because there's a God trying to say, hello, I'm here. They did not seek the Lord of hosts, so the Lord cut off Israel's head and tail, palm branch and reed, in a single day. The head is the elder, the honored one, the tail is the prophet, the lying teacher. In other words, God took everything away and said, fine, if you're not going to listen, then you have no more leader and you have no more prophet that's going to help you because they're all liars anyway. The leaders of the people misled them and those they mislead are swallowed up. And Revelation tells us that's exactly what's going to happen. Verse 5 says she gave birth. Finally, she gives birth. There's a dragon. She's in labor pain. She finally gives birth to a son. It's not a coincidence that she gives birth to a son because the Bible said that the first Adam failed so a new Adam had to come to redeem stupid man and bring salvation to the world because man can't redeem himself he can't have enough children to save himself he can't do enough righteous works to save himself he can't work enough to save himself you need a different man who will come and save and build a different family through a new bride that's the scriptures A man who is going to shepherd all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It's this picture of Jesus coming. He's he's the one who is and was and is forever. And then he ascends and goes back to heaven. That's what we just read in Acts 1, chapter 6 and chapter 8. We already have this sign. This sign has already been proven throughout the scripture. Psalm 2 David wrote this years, hundreds of years, hundreds of years before we knew about Jesus. Here's what David wrote. Why do the nations rebel or rebel and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. That's what we just read a minute ago in Isaiah, where they stand in pride and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. That's what happened with the two witnesses, right? They all came together. We're going to kill the two witnesses. We don't want God. We're done with this. David said this is exactly what happens every single day. The nations come together and we can be trapped. Be careful that you don't fall for the promise of false peace. We just all need to have peace. We all just need to get along. Who said? And by what standard? I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not looking for war. But be careful that you don't make peace at any cost and end up rebelling and end up building things God never intended you to build. He says, so now, kings, be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. That's what we saw the 24 elders doing in heaven. He's saying, before you get to heaven, you might want to practice this now. (laughs) Because that's what's going to be going on forever. Get used to it. Then he says, pay homage to the son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion." You better recognize that there's a son that you owe everything to. Then he goes on and he says, for his anger may ignite at any moment. He may come back at any second and return. 
All those who take refuge in him are happy. The word there is blessed. You truly want to be happy? Then you better take refuge in this son that was born of a virgin and this dragon who couldn't touch him. Isaiah says it this way, but in the future, Isaiah writes, Isaiah again, an Old Testament prophet writing about the future. In the future, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of peace. Those are all things we want. We want good counselors. We want people who are strong and mighty. We want things to last a long time so we don't have to rebuy them and they break. And we want someone who will give us peace. And nothing on this earth and no person on this earth will do it. Only this guy will, Isaiah says. He will reign on the, he said, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David because God said he would bring the seed of man through David. You go from Adam to Noah, to Abraham, right, to Jacob, to David. All these covenants God made to say, I'm still using these simple people, which means he can use simple people like you. And all of those guys were major idiots. Noah was, or or Adam was a weak man who, who watched to see if his wife would die before he did anything. What? And then blamed her. This hard woman you gave me. No, you stood there and watched. You could have been like, stop, don't eat that. Let's go talk to God. You ate it. Let's ask for forgiveness. I know God will forgive. Let's squash the serpent. Shut up. He could have done any of those things. And instead he just stands there. He's like, well, I wonder. I just want to see what's going to happen to you. Oh, that looked like it went well. Okay. And men have been doing it ever since. Noah. Noah was a drunk. First thing he does when he gets off the ark is he starts drinking. Like, I've got to be happy. No, don't do that. And then he curses one of his sons. I mean, what a mess. He messes up his whole family right after they get off the ark because he's drunk. I mean, you look at Moses. Moses was a murderer, and then he was hiding out from, you know, so he didn't have to face authority. And then he got mad, struck a rock, didn't get to go to the promised land. He wanted all the people dead at one point. He's like, kill them all, God, and start over with me. Well, that's the guy I want leading me and my family. Jacob, a liar, a cheat. He's a mama's boy. He never goes out and does anything rugged. Esau did all that. He just eats the stuff Esau brings home. I mean, you couldn't pick worse people. And God did that purposefully to say, I'm trying to bring a son that will save someday and none of them are it and all of them know they're not it and they keep saying, well, maybe someday a son will come that'll save me. And all fathers need to hear that. You can't save yourself, but maybe you'll bring someone into the world who will bring a son into the world if they're a woman or a son that you'll bring into the world that might help the family follow Christ. That's the message of this sign that's powerful. And Isaiah repeats, and he says, he will establish his kingdom and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Not because of what we've done, but because of his zeal and who he is. Revelation 12, 6, the woman then flees into the wilderness. So she has the baby and there's a dragon and so she flees. Where she had a place prepared by God to be fed there for 1,260 days. 
What did Adam and Eve have to do after they sinned and they had to flee out of the garden, right? Oh, and then Mary, let's read it, 2.11. Entering the house, the magi, okay, the wise men from the east saw the child with Mary, his mother, that's Jesus, and falling to their knees like the 24 elders, they worshiped Jesus. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are very expensive and like major things that you don't, normal people wouldn't have. These are like kingly things. Why did he bring them gold and frankincense and myrrh? Oh, because he needed to prepare and provide for the fleeing they were going to do. What do you mean? Let's read on. After they were gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream. He's talking to Joseph. Could have talked to Mary, decided to talk to Joseph. Again, showing that there are men that will listen to me. Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod is a picture of that great dragon that continues to show over and over again in Scripture. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into rage. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men the star appeared. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because there were, they were no more. God predicted. He shows that this is going to happen. This has already happened. How long do you think they were in Egypt? 1,260 days. You don't believe me? Go back and look at Roman history when Herod the Great died. The first Herod. There's two. It was that time frame, about three and a half years. Three and a half years. They were in Egypt and then came back. They fled and God gave them gold, frankincense, and myrrh to do what? to go and support themselves in Egypt because they couldn't have fled to Egypt as foreigners and supported themselves unless they had great wealth and they were given incredible great wealth and they used that great wealth for three and a half years and ran out of it all and came back very poor and had to live in Nazareth. He goes on and says this in Revelation twelve seven. then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon is an angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to the earth and his angels with him. This is an event that's likely already happened. There's going to be another war. Some people say that this will be a part of the millennial kingdom or after the millennial kingdom. Either way, we know that Satan is all around the earth. He is the prince of the power of the earth and the air and all those things. Oh, by the way, devil and Satan mean something. Devil is diablos in Greek. It means slander. Satan, they actually use the Hebrew word. So he's using Greek and Hebrew here to say all of you. Everybody pay attention. The word in Hebrew means adversary. So you've got a slanderer and an adversary. In other words, he can't, he's not really powerful. He doesn't really have power, but the power he does have is just to constantly accuse all the time. And you know what's problematic with the, with, with, the devil's accusations, they're true. That's the problem. You can't escape the devil's accusations against you because they're true. God, they're horrible. They're wicked. 
They're sinful. They did this and they did that and they did this and they thought that and their motive was here and their motive was there. And if you try to stand there and go, no, that's not me at all. I'm not, I'm, that's not. You know that every time the accusation comes, the reason accusations hurt is because there's some truth to them. And you're like, well, no, I didn't lie about that, but I can't say I'm not a liar because I lied about five other things. It's like if I ever get pulled over for a speeding ticket, I'm not going to argue with the officer. You know how many times I've been speeding and not been pulled over? A thousand times. I'm not going to look at him and be like, how dare you? I'll be like, dude, I'm glad you finally caught me. Like, it's been going on a long time. <laughs> the great accuser, yep, I'm good. I, here we are. But everybody wants to argue. We want to be like the kings that argue in Isaiah. We want to have this pride. And how dare... Uh, no, I've sped. Even if, I, even if I'm one of those guys that, like, I'm going to drive 55. I remember... A girl in high school that I knew really well, her family was so Christian, like so loving and righteous. Like they were like the model family. Like, I mean, just like her dad, I just knew on the way to school that if he got out to go to work before I got in front of him, I was going to be stuck behind him driving 30 and 45 miles an hour to school. And I didn't have that kind of time, even though that was the speed limit, 30 and 45. So it was like, I got to beat him out. I, I got to go. You know, I get him, get out of, because he wasn't going to speed. The speed limit says 45. That's what I'm going to do. And it wasn't like self-righteous. If you passed him, he'd wave and smile. Hi, Matt. Drive right by him. He wasn't like, blah, blah, blah. no, he just. All of this is that there is a war that's constantly going down. Can I tell you, I wish more Christians had a wartime mentality. We have got to get back to a wartime mentality. There is a war raging for people. And if we keep living like we're just, ah, there's no war going on. I don't have to sacrifice. I don't have, like in wartime, people sacrificed. Like there was, I don't know if you remember World War II. They were collecting all the metal. Everybody was like collecting metal. You bought war bonds. Like all this to try to win a war. And if we don't win, it's going to be really bad because all of Europe is going to be fascist and then they're going to come for us eventually. Like wartime mentality means we buckle down. We understand that the whole world, there's a problem. And that's exactly what Michael does. Daniel 12 says this, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands to watch over your people will rise up. At that time, he tells Daniel, there's coming a time. See, Michael's primary goal as an angel is for you and me. It's to protect God's people. God created angels to do what? Be there for people. Satan is the evil accuser deceptor because he decided, I don't want to be there for people. I want my will be done, not God's. And the primary heart of a Christian is to want to be there for people. It's the heart of a servant because Jesus himself gave himself to people. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since the nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life, some to shame and eternal contempt. Those who will arise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many, sorry, just jumped, I gotta go back, um, will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, look at this, keep these words secret and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will roam about and knowledge will increase. 
Seal up the book. Keep these ideas. Eventually, when the end comes, it'll all be revealed. And knowledge is going to increase, and everybody's going to think they're getting smarter and smarter, and it's still the same old story. It's still the same battle. It's still the same conversation. Hasn't changed. 1210, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, that's his savior, his king, have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out and the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Do you realize that somehow, and I'm not sure how, Satan has access to heaven? Have you read the book of Job where Satan somehow talks to God in heaven and asks to tempt him and we're told that Satan is accusing us all the time right now he's accusing us before the father and Jesus is holding back the wrath of God and saying no I covered that I've forgiven that you can accuse them and it's true of them but I've forgiven it there's some kind of heavenly role this is talking about a time when that will be done some believe this is the millennial reign of Christ the thousand year reign of Christ before the ultimate end we don't know we don't know the times or period Daniel also says this He goes on to say in verse 8, I heard but did not understand. Welcome to the book of Revelation. You're in good company. Because Daniel said, I heard all this, I read all this, and I don't have a clue what I'm writing, and I don't know what it means. And I'm the great Daniel who got saved from a lion's den and stood up for my faith and served a wicked king, and I don't have a clue what's going on. So I asked, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? When will the kingdom be restored? He said, oh, let me tell you. No, here's what he said. Go on your way, Daniel. For the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. No, I don't think you understood the question. I asked when this is going to happen. Like what's going to, no, no, go be my witness. Go serve me. Just go, you're good. It'll all be sealed. It'll all come about someday. You just go do what you're doing. You keep doing what you're doing. Good job. Serve that Persian king. Serve that Babylonian king. Good job. Daniel goes on, many will be purified, cleansed, and refined because of your work, but the wicked will act wickedly. Okay, so some people are going to listen and some people are going to keep doing wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand, Daniel. That's your life. Go. So that's my mission on the earth? Yeah, that's your mission. You're going to go and you don't know how people are going to listen. Some are going to listen, some aren't. That's not your call. It shows who's wicked and who's listening, though. It's the same message Jesus gave. (laughs) It hasn't changed. He goes on, he says, look, But as for you, Daniel, he has to repeat himself twice. Go on your way to the end. You will rest, then you will rise to your destiny at the end of days. Notice he doesn't say, keep going and you'll find your destiny, Daniel. That's what the modern church tells people. Just serve God, find your destiny and serve God. He says, no, go on your way, keep being a slave in Babylon, keep serving. And then at the end of all time, you'll figure out your destiny. That's a little long. I'm looking for somebody who can give me a destiny now. Yeah, watch out for those people. Because the destiny's already been fulfilled. We know what it's going to be. Revelation 11, 12, 11 says, They conquered him by the blood. Now this is the key. Wake up, get your pens out, underline this. Because this is what's consistent through all of human history. How did these people overcome this beast, this red dragon, this This battle that's going on between the angels. How do we overcome and become overcomers in the midst of this? It says, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. It's not because of what you've done. It's not the blood you shed that saves you or saves anybody else. It's the blood of the Lamb. 
So the first thing is, do you believe that the blood of the Lamb is what can actually save you? Have you ever trusted in the Passover of the Old Testament, who was revealed in the New Testament as the ultimate Lamb of God and Jesus, and Revelation's favorite term to refer to Jesus from this point on is the behold the Lamb of God all the way through the book? Are you trusting in the blood of the Lamb? Have you surrendered your life and say, I can't save myself? The accuser's right. He's got every accusation in the world against me, but I've been covered by the blood of the Lamb and his accusations can't touch me because I know my eternal destiny and I know my mission here and what it's for. And so I can struggle every day and fight every day because I know who's going to overcome and it isn't me, it's the blood of the Lamb. And then he says, that's part one, part two. You do that by the blood of the Lamb. Second part, you do it by the word of their testimony. For they, That's the second part. So yes, I believe in the blood of the Lamb, but the second part, if you want to overcome in the world and you want to see other people overcome, you've got to give your testimony, which is what Acts 1.8 says. It's what Daniel did. You've got to go out and you've got to give your testimony and you have to give their testimony. It's plural. It's not your testimony. It's the testimony of God and the testimony of every person in this room. Do you know how many times that I have shared many of your testimonies with people I've shared the gospel with or other Christians who need encouragement and I've used your name and your testimony as a testimony to them so that they can see what it looks like to follow God. I do it all the time and I don't tell you about it. Sometimes I do. I talk about people all the time. I'm like, oh, you got to hear this story. Here's what they did. Here's what I loved when they came and they just asked forgiveness. And here's what, like I use your story. Here's their testimony. So don't believe me. I don't have a testimony that maybe fits you, but here's his testimony. You need to go talk to him. I'd love to set you up to meet with him. And let me tell you about this guy. Let me tell you about this gal. I do it all the time because that's what makes you an overcomer. It's what helps you conquer the mess around you. Then he says, here's the key. The blood of the lamb the testimony of God, that's the word of God. So we got to know the word of God. We can give the testimony of Daniel, the testimony of Isaiah, the testimony of Jeremiah, the testimony of Hosea. We got all kinds of testimonies we can give people. It doesn't have to be your testimony. He says, they did not love their lives in the face of death. Most of us are spending most of our life trying to avoid death. The people of God were asked to run into life, recognizing death awaited them. They were called to be the servants of people, knowing that they would die serving people. Jesus had a three and a third year ministry. We would call that a failure by any standard today. And when he died, he had one follower other than his mother, a prostitute, and a prostitute at the foot of his cross. One guy, that's it. Anybody looking at that would have said, what a miserable ministry. What a failure. And that's what we do today when we look at our own lives. And God in heaven is saying, just wait, there's a resurrection coming. Just wait, the Holy Spirit's going to use that one guy. Oh, by the way, that one guy's writing this book to us. It's John. He goes on and he says, therefore rejoice. There's the fourth thing. Do you rejoice? Do you rejoice that you know you have the blood of the Lamb, that you get to give the testimony of God to people, that you know that you don't love your life, that you're willing to lay down your life, that you're, you're laying down your life right now and your time, talent, treasures, and testimonies? If you know you're doing that, then man, rejoice. You heavens and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows he has a short time. Again, 
This has already happened. It's going to happen again in a new way when there's a millennial reign of Christ that's talked about in the scriptures, but we don't know how it's all going to work out. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Of course he did. He doesn't want any more children born. Does that sound familiar in our culture? 65 million children aborted since the 1972 or 73 decision of Roe v. Wade, which was overturned. There is a great dragon that's looking not to save life, not looking to walk through the hardship of decisions in life, but finds that the solution is just to you get your life the way you want it and don't suffer. God says, no, 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 no. That's how the enemy works. That's not how we work. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness. We looked at this before. It's probably going to happen again where she was fed for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away in in torrent. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. I have no idea what all this means. And neither do most scholars. They don't have a clue. They don't. Read. You'll find all kinds. They don't know. Has it already happened? Maybe. He goes on and says, So the dragon was furious with the woman and left her to wage war against the rest and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and have the testimony about Jesus. See, this woman is both Israel and talks about that it's Israel who is Jacob, who is the 12 and all the way through. And then it says, when God couldn't stop Israel from bringing in the Messiah, when Satan couldn't stop that from happening, he decided to go off after the offspring of Israel, those who have been adopted. That's you and me if you're not an Israelite. And he says, so instead, the serpent decided, I'm going to go after those who keep the commands of God and have the testimony about Jesus. I'm going, about, I'm going after the ones who believe Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going after the ones, her offspring, the Jewish offspring, done with them, but I'm going to pursue and go after the church. I'm going after that offspring that's coming. Why? Because Satan doesn't want anyone to be saved. He wants to kill, steal, accuse, and destroy. That's who he is. And God says, this is what's going to happen. So let me ask you those four things that we talked about earlier. that We kind of listed in terms of your heart, the blood of the lamb, the witness. Not loving your lives, rejoicing. Those four things. But here it says, those who keep the commands... And have the testimony about Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you have the testimony about Jesus and who he is right here? I'm just giving it to you this morning. It's laid out throughout all the scriptures. Do you believe it? Do you have that as your testimony? That he's the blood, he's the one, it's all about him. Do you have that as your testimony? If you don't, you need to deal with that. Because this is going to happen one day fully. And it's already happened, but not yet. And you better deal with it before it already fully happens. And if you do have the testimony about Jesus, let me ask you this. Do you love his commands? 
King David wrote, I love your statutes, your ordinances, your laws, and your commands. And David also wrote, I can't save myself. No amount of sacrifice will save me, but I still love your laws, your commands, your statutes, and your ordinances. And today in our culture, we have dismissed the laws, statutes, and ordinances of God. And it's almost a badge of honor to say, I have the testimony about Jesus, so I don't have to do any of those commands. That's not what this says. John 14 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. What's the first command? Surrender to Jesus. (laughs) Repent. Accept him. So that you can have the power to obey. Because if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to have the power to obey in the Holy Spirit. You're not going to have the church to help you obey. Because you're not one of us. He says, the one who has kept, who who has kept, ah, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not of mine, but it's of the Father who sent me. I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor of the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. That's the word of God. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives peace. It's a different kind of peace. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm going to come to you again. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. There's that thanksgiving, that rejoicing, that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know the testimony? Have you surrendered? Do you love his commands and love his word, even though some of them are hard to understand, like Revelation? Because that's the response of someone who's a part of a family. And we wrestle together, not against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but against the spiritual forces that we're all trying to fight against. Jesus said one last thing as we finish up in Mark 8. Summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, if you think you want my testimony and you want to follow me and say, I'm with him, He must deny himself. It's not about you. He must take up his cross and follow me. You have to recognize that you're going to die, but there's a purpose you're dying for, and the purpose you're dying for is to save other people because that's what Jesus did. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man or benefit a man? to gain the whole world, yet lose his life. What can man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me ask you, are you ashamed of the blood of the Lamb? Are you ashamed of the testimony of God's word where he says this is off limits, this is righteous, this is unrighteous? Are you ashamed of laying down your life when you see everybody else gets more and more life in this world and it seems like their life's going great and you keep having to make sacrifices and you get mad about that and ashamed? Do you love the commands of God or do, they, do you just dismiss them and I don't even want to have to deal with them. I just want to do what I want to do. Can I tell you, 
There's a different sign that God's trying to show you this morning, and that sign is the sign of his son. It's the sign he gives us in scripture that says, I love you. I've given every sign I can possibly give. And when the seventh trumpet blows and all of this, which has already happened, but not fully yet, he lays it all out. And he says, if you understand this, you are blessed. If you can see these signs and understand how these fit together, even in the smallest way, man, are you blessed. And by the way, don't keep it to yourself. There's a whole world that needs the happiness that can only come from knowing these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, to make you known. Lord, this is just hard stuff. This is the part of the book of Revelation that if I'm honest, I've kind of been dreading. And I ask your forgiveness for that. Lord, I shouldn't dread it. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And so, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you give us clarity in the midst of things that don't seem clear. I pray that If anyone here doesn't know you, anyone listening online has not surrendered to you and the blood that you've shed and your testimony and they keep loving their life, it's time for them to surrender their life. I pray today would be that day. And for those of us who say we love you and we say that we love the testimony, Lord, I pray that you would help us to really enjoy your word and the commands and statutes and ordinances that you give for us to know how to do life according to your purpose. Lord, help us to rejoice and be thankful this morning, we pray in your name.